1: Good morning. On April 10th, 1922. It's cool, and it's WBT WB Charlotte B. North
2: Carolina. And I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, time. This is a big broadcast for WBT. let's call it What's
0: that day out there? To
2: what do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Lacy. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first-timer. Taken take it by Trabucca. Let's go. First best been made. Hurricane Hugo has made landfall.
1: Yeah, with no power. No information coming into the station other than the telephone. Him down. Him down.
2: It's a very special radio station, because people care. It's the John Hancock radio program. Carolina Panthers have been named Unload. the NFL's newest expansion. Panthers <laughs> <laughs> with their first touchdown.
3: Bank of America Stadium. Right. Kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage a here. a long, between. strange trip it still
2: is. Throw me
0: in the pool, please.
1: Ruth managed to evade police. I'm David Chadwick. The plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. Be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Ma'am.
4: I'm Stacy Sims. Charlotte's
1: Mr. Wright, hey. Carolina Panthers, are headed to Super Bowl Fifty.
2: Let's go. Are
4: going to win
3: the national What's going to be the impact? I may see some serious issues here at Mid,
5: providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning,
1: Bob. Hey, gather around, my friends, in this mythical fella. WPT, the great
5: colossus of the South.
1: Through the years. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice.
6: Of the good stuff.
1: This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast.
6: On September 28, 1987, a new voice debuted on WBT, a voice that would come to define Charlotte Radio News for three decades.
2: The air raid siren sounding last night in Baghdad as Uncle Sam opens fire on Saddam. You're listening to live coverage of the NFL franchise announcement from Chicago where uh, the Carolina Panthers have been named... The NFL's newest expansion team. Live coverage here on News Radio 1110 WBC. John
6: Stokes arrived from Tampa, Florida, where he had been news director for WFLA, and now he'd take over a six man news operation in the Queen City. Baker was
2: not in the courtroom this morning on the advice of his psychiatrist, Dr. Basil Jackson of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He told Judge Robert Potter Baker was laying on the floor this morning, hiding his head baker hallucinated yesterday upon leaving the courtroom, saying the people outside like animals
6: ready to attack him. The then 32-year-old Stokes would spend the next 32 years as the anchor of the WBT morning newsroom.
2: got to be fire, let's go. Huh? Russell and Flynn are learning firsthand about WBT Radio News with John Stokes. Boy, is he fast? Fast while the news is still hot.
1: 22 after 7 o'clock here at WBT. News, sports are headed your way here at the bottom of the hour, and John Stokes is here with the headlines.
2: Well, coming up at 7.30, another whopper of a bank deal in the works, another casualty from that Alaska oil spill, and the folks at Walt Disney say it was dopey and they're grumpy. With the details at 7.30 on WBT. <laughs> Thank you, John. Great light.
1: I love it. 7.32, Operation Stormwatch continues. We go to the news desk in John Stokes.
2: It's a good morning to stay under the covers, or at the very least, undercover, as a line of strong stormtroopers Storms moves through. The heaviest of the weather right now is in York, Chester, and Mecklenburg, and Western Union counties.
6: As our team coverage of Patrick Cannon's arrest and resignation continues on News Talk 1110 WBT, live to the 24-7 News Center, here's John Stokes. The a dive is expected
2: next week against Patrick Cannon, the now-former Charlotte mayor could be looking at decades in prison for allegedly
6: taking bribes. W- the names on the WBT morning marquee have changed many times since 1987. Mike Collins, Russell and Flynn, Russell and Friends, Russell and Maura Quinn, John Robinson, Al Gardner, Danny Fontana, Stacy Sims, and yours truly, Bo Thompson. Not to mention dozens of fellow anchors and reporters. But the one constant during all those years has been John Stokes. Brad Schultz was a longtime colleague of John's in the WBT newsroom in the 80s and 90s.
0: I cannot remember but only a few who have been as concise, as good a writing, and as good a delivery as John Soakes. He has done this for years. He did it well in Tampa. He brought it to Charlotte. He refined what he did in Charlotte. And he has been there every weekday morning before you got up writing it, editing it, presenting it. Think back to all the things that have happened in your life and all the things that have happened in Charlotte's life and all the things that have happened in America's life. And he's been there for a major chunk of it. And for someone to be in one place that long, doing the job that he has done, and the great job that he has done, is very rare and very special.
6: Al Gardner was the morning man here for almost 15 years and worked with John at both WFLA and WBT.
1: You talk about word economy. You talk about just being able to do everything right. You know. How to sound authoritative by being natural, how to get into sound, how to get out of sound, how to hold the listener, how to select stories, you know, how to make sure that the listener gets what he or she wants, but also what you know will flavor their day something funny to say or you know however that balance happens there's no one better and there never will will be anyone
6: better than john stokes stacy sims was part of the morning team for a decade
4: a lot of people know that john is actually very funny off the air Um, and sometimes on the air but what they don't know is that he once upon a time actually saved charlotte's morning news at least the iteration with me and al what happened was It was one of those times when you're redoing the clock. You know, the the show stays the same, but the elements within it, news, weather, traffic, interviews, things kind of move around a little bit. And Al loved to do that. So he was tinkering with it. He was changing things. And he showed it to me. And I said, I don't know when I'm supposed to talk. Like, it just wasn't clear, right? When would he go? When would I go? Because with two people, you're not scripting things out. But you have to know. You know, when is it my turn to to tell John Stokes, hey, it's time for the news, or when it's time to go to a commercial, or when I can go get coffee, or something like that. So he didn't understand what I meant, and I kept saying, well, I just don't know when I'm supposed to talk. And he kept showing me the same paper, saying, well, right here, I don't know when I'm supposed to talk. So it, got, it actually got kind of heated. And we're doing this downstairs, you know, these open desk plans, but there's nobody down there. And then John Stokes pokes his head in. And, you know, immediately reads the room that we're having an issue. And he's, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm not sure when I'm supposed to talk. And we both burst out laughing, and it completely diffused what had, like I said, had been getting pretty heated. I was ready to punch Alan in the note. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was bad. And then John just kind of came in, and with his authoritative voice, because when he says something, everybody listens. And I have to say, it turned everything around. We all laughed. We all sat down. Al completely understood it didn't have to change anything everything just became more clear i'm not even sure john knows how close we all were to ending that iteration of charlotte's morning news that day so john thank you for saving the show
6: one guy who's seen just about all of john stokes career here has been a guy who's worked beside him for a lot of that time jim zoki wbat sports director
0: so when i first started working here it was the late 80s either the end of 88 or the early part of 89 and back then russell and flynn were the morning show And I was hired to do weekend sports, and then I would do uh, the Hornets uh, pregame, halftime, postgame stuff when Steve Martin was here. But anyways, uh, John Stokes uh, was working here then, obviously, as he always has been up until uh, this moment. And Russell and Flynn, the morning show, were, um, I don't know why they could tell you, they were six days a week. They would work uh, Monday through Saturday with only Sundays off. And so I would uh, come in. I remember my very first shift, sitting down, and uh, they would do the news And then the sports would be within the news as it is now. And uh, this guy with this voice of God, this John Facenda-like voice, I didn't know who he was. This is their weekend news anchor coming in. And I have to follow this guy. I'm 23 years old. And I'm just trying to even like open the mic and speak after hearing this uh, incredible, uh, baritone voice of John Stokes. Uh, but I just remember thinking this guy is, if this is the weekend part-time news guy, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to last in this business very long. I was relieved to know that he was actually uh, one of their main anchors and that he was as good as I thought he sounded. He was and it wasn't just some one off, but, uh, John, I think could have worked in any market anywhere at any level. Uh, but, uh, uh, chose the stability of and we're lucky for that uh, being in charlotte and just staying in one place for as long as he did uh, doing an unbelievable job all these many years and was never taken for granted but he's just such a rock and a foundation and a cornerstone of what is this radio station so sounds just as great today as he did 30 whatever years ago that was and uh, he'll be missed uh, but uh, my memory of john was just starting out thinking I can't work in a business where this guy is doing the same kind of talking that I'm supposed to be doing.
6: It's one thing for a radio station to have anybody in any role for three decades. But how remarkable is it for a station to have two guys in that category? Well, that's the case, and it's been an embarrassment of riches almost for WBT to have not only John Stokes for 30 years, but Jim Barrell anchored afternoons on WBT from 1985 to 2016.
3: 79 degrees at 6 o'clock. I'm Jim
6: Barrell,
2: News Talk 1110 WBT. Yes, hello. This is Jim Barrell. I'm with WBT Radio in Charlotte. Yes.
3: Are you one of the people who are uh, holding the hostages? are. Sure. Could you tell me why you're doing it? Because we have information that could put Hubert Stone, of the sheriff's department here in Normanton, away for a long time. And is this a is this a conflict between the the Indians and the local uh, police establishment? Yes, it is. I do know that the jury is coming back in. Something's going jury, to happen. The jury
0: returned unanimous verdict, not guilty,
2: of the first degree murder of Sharika Adams. It's 105. Good morning. I'm Scott Kilgore in the WBT Storm Center, continuing to bring you extended coverage on Hurricane Hugo. Hugo has come ashore. It came ashore near Charleston, around the Isle of Palms. That happened at about midnight. When the eye moved ashore, the storm was packing sustained winds of 135 miles an hour. Just north of Charleston, in Georgetown, is WBT's Jim Barrel.
3: Our wind gauge got blown off the roof here of the uh, Georgetown uh, County Courthouse about an hour ago, so we really can't tell at this point how strong the winds are. The last recorded uh, gust that we got was somewhere in the vicinity of about 80, and that was, as I say, about an hour ago. Uh, All we can can tell is that uh, the wind is blowing very, very hard can't really see anything outside now because it's it's so dark Uh, there's no power really anywhere except for the emergency power that's on in this building so if you look out the window you just see the silhouettes of trees blowing and very little else and of course you hear the the high gusty winds and uh, you can see some of the rain as you open the door and the light from inside is shining on the drops as they blow horizontally. We uh, are kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage here between uh, our reporters on the scene Uh, people at the hospitals. If you are on the west side of Charlotte, you are asked to avoid the area just west of the airport. Uh, emergency vehicles going to and from. A lot of the streets blocked off because of the crash of this U.S. Air DC-9 uh, shortly before 7 o'clock at wallace Neal and Old Dowd Road. We'll
0: continue to update you here, Jim, with the information that we do have throughout the evening.
3: Just briefly, Brad, and only if you know the answer to this, have they said whether there are still any people alive in the wreckage? Um,
6: they are still working. Longtime WBT reporter, anchor, and news director Jim Barrell, his run ended at WBT in October of 2016 and rest assured, we will hear more from Jim Barrow in just a moment. But back to John Stokes. His final day at WBT came on December 20th of 2019. So two nights ago, John received a plaque at our company party uh, for the Golden Microphone Award. And that is a plaque that you were able to take with you. Mm-hmm. All right. So John is sitting in front of me right now. He will get another plaque soon. But you can't take this one with you. We get to keep this one. That's not fair. Oh, yes, it is. Okay. Because everybody in the hall is nodding on this one. And there's a space on the wall down the hall where this is going to go. But on the final day of his 41-year career and 32 of the O's here at WBT, I am honored and thrilled to announce that the 12th inductee into the WBT Hall of Fame will be John Stokes. Thank
5: you, Paul. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I got, I got to think this is because they kept turning me down on that parking space with my name on it out front.
6: <laughs> it's, this is a makeup call, right? No. Oh. This is the, the most fitting Unbelievable. thing Unbelievable. I want to say to you, from my standpoint, having been here hosting for the last eight or so years, when I started in 1997 full-time here, it was a member of the production team on this show, and, and you were in the same place you, were, you are you were just a toddler then or, you know. <laughs> to many people around the building yes but i want to say something to you that i said at john hancock's hall of fame induction ceremony a few years ago um i said that night that i will always be thankful and honored that i worked during the john hancock era and we I'm all gonna, we all feel that way yes john i'm gonna both Johns, I'm going to adjust that statement, and I'm going to say I, I will forever be thankful to have worked during the John era at WVT. And for that matter, I'll throw more in there, too, because I am surrounded by some incredible Johns. Uh, John Stokes, what's on your mind?
5: The, we all walk by the, the Hall of Fame display in the, in the lobby here quite frequently. The thing that, that, that I'm thinking of right now is that I get to be next to him. John Hancock.
2: Roommates. <laughs> I'll bring the beer. A corn chucker and a buffalo.
6: They said it couldn't be
2: done. Uh, that's That That makes it all the better.
5: Yes. That I get to be next to him.
6: Yes. And, and in the suite, if you will, Rock and Ray Gooding, Henry Bogan, yes. Ty Boyd, we can go on and on. We're in the Ty Boyd studio right now. But John, uh, it's all of our honor to uh, say we were co-workers with you and, and congratulations and uh, don't be a stranger. Guarantee it. I'll be in next week. See
5: how you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) No, you won't. (laughs) Maybe not as early,
2: but.
6: (laughs) The last thing I will say, and I'm going to say this to your face so I can hold you to this. Uh, You have agreed. Yes, you will acknowledge this to sit down with me. For a WBT Century podcast, and Jim Barrell's going to join us sometime for that. this century. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, mark the tapes, nerdly. I have it official. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the newest inductee into the WBT Hall of Fame as of today, on the final day of his 41-year career, John Stokes. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, everyone. Here, here. And so, all that the backdrop for season number two, the debut episode. Now, welcome to season two of Bo Thompson Century Podcast. And uh, hey, look, John and Jim, they are men of their words because, ladies and gentlemen, I have with me the one and only John Stokes. Welcome back.
5: Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, well, I had to go through the front door. <laughs> I didn't have a, a
6: pass to get in for once. Yeah. And it's light outside. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and a guy that worked alongside john stokes for just about all the
3: years that he was here jim Barrell. jim Barrell, welcome it's good to be back uh, i had so many good memories at wbt and a lot of the people that i worked with are still here so uh, fewer and fewer so it gets strange when you come back and people you run into hi and they don't know who the heck you are so but it's good to be back good to see you bo and uh i'm glad the station continues to be as uh, as big as it has been over the years well uh
6: you two guys are two of the ones that made it uh, as big as it is so thanks for being here today
3: sure thank you
6: I want to start with uh, both of you. We heard you for so many years on WBT, and we'll certainly get into that. But I always start these conversations uh, because a lot of people coming into this don't know the original story, the backstory of how you got here in the first place, how you got to radio. And I don't know in the cases of both of you. I know you both spent time in Florida before you came to Charlotte. But, uh, John, uh, and I know you were at uh, WFLA for a while when Al Gardner was. Mm-hmm. But where did I it hired al-, al Gardner, by the way? So so yeah. let's go back to the beginning here. Uh, how did John Stokes get started in radio?
5: Watergate. I was I was in high school and all the stuff was unfolding. High school slash moving into college when it was all um, starting to uh, you know to uh, play out and I, and I just became I was starstruck by the whole uh, by journalism and the things that were that were coming out or being reported. And of course I was growing up, mm-hmm. starting to get serious about my life. And in a nutshell, that's what it was. Uh, I, I I was sort of drifting in high school a little bit. Wanted to be an architect, I thought. Um, and of course, the uh, the C minus in mathematics probably would have gotten away there. But uh, no, I just I it was Watergate uh, that got me into um, into journalism. And I said, you know what? Let's let's see if we can make something happen out of that. And I'll be darned, something did happen. So the first station you ever worked for? Oh boy. First station I was employed for, yes, that would be KMMJ, in Grand Island, Nebraska. And then uh, KFOR, Lincoln, Nebraska.
6: Okay. See, I like to do the the yeah. whole resume here. How we get to WBT? So uh, I was two. at
5: KMMJ for less than a year. Okay. And then went to Lincoln for
6: roughly five years. All right, so five years in Nebraska, then Florida, WFLA. WFLA, and how long did you stay there? Uh, about five years.
2: There's only one radio station in the Bay Area that delivers all of the news and information you need. It's News Radio 97, WFLA. News Radio 97 gives you ground and air traffic reports to get you to work and home safely. News as it happens from far away and right down your street. The inside sports story from Ted Webb and the best forecast from AccuWeather. That's why more and more people rely on News Radio 97, WFLA. For all you need to know, when you need to know, turn your radio to 970 on the AM band, News Radio 97, WFLA.
6: And then uh, you come from Florida to here. Now I want to pause it there and then pick up the same conversation with Jim.
3: Uh, where did you start your career? Well, my first radio job was uh, a summer gig in New Jersey when I was still in high school for a little station called W.A.A.T. What? (laughs) And and it was just, you know, some experience. I, I liked radio and then didn't do anything for a couple of years. I was at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. And started listening to WIS, which was the news talk music station back then while I was, I had a, a driving job. I drove a bus, school bus, and uh, I, I liked the station. And then when I got into uh, uh, journalism as a major, uh, I went over to the station and asked if they had any jobs. And they had some, you know, disc jockey, sign the station off on the weekend kind of jobs. I said, so, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And... um I did some writing when a program director came in. Uh, He liked my sense of humor. And so I I wrote some sort of fun commentary types of things. And then the news director said, hey, why don't you come uh, and work for us? At that point, I wanted to get into sports. But um, I I was happy to have an invitation. So I I sort of started out as a newsroom intern, working mornings, typing up uh, lead stories for the news anchor, a guy named Dave Curitan, who later went on to Mutual News. And um, finally... Uh, became a full-fledged member of the WAS News Department in Columbia, worked there for about seven years, ended up um, leaving when uh, there was a station takeover and a lot of people were being let go, went down to Orlando, WDBO. Prior to that, there was a connection with John. A friend of mine had left earlier, went down to, I think, WFLA, and uh, his name was Mark Chambers, and he invited me by the station, and he said, oh, by the way, there's our uh, our news director, <laughs> a guy named John Stokes, who I didn't know from Adam <laughs> at that point. I said, okay, that's great. You know, I, never, I don't think I met you because you were busy. Well, I was probably having a beer at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is also funny, because eventually, uh, my wife hated it or in Orlando. She, she just didn't like it. She was from South Carolina and just wanted to go back home, close to her family, so... I said, I can't go back to Columbia. There's nothing there for me. So I tried to get a job in Charlotte. Actually, a friend of mine who worked here, Scott Kilgore, who some people probably in the audience still remember. Should. Yeah, w- yeah it was in the yeah. news department. He said, Hey, we got an opening uh, on the FM side. John Boy and Billy need a newsman. And I didn't know who they were, but I found out quickly. They're, t- you know, a hoot. I was the. Uh, News director for the FM side here uh, for a year and then got invited to come over to the AM side as a reporter. And uh, I think that was right around the time that John was being hired, a few months after I came over to, to do reporting for WBT. John was hired as a news director.
6: And a lot of people uh, don't realize that John Boy and Billy began their career in Charlotte on WBCY, which is what 107.9 The Link is right now. But before they became institutions on 99.7, uh, uh, they started out on WBCY. And so this was back during that era where uh, you came along and then John came along. And so you actually were at WBT before John was. Yeah, just uh, maybe six months or so, something like that. Yeah. And so the two of you arrive this is uh what 1987 I believe
3: yeah mhm so
6: 1987 is here. Quite a, a different time than uh, the one we're in the middle of right now. But uh, Jim, I remember talking to you a few months ago when we were talking about John Stokes here leaving, and uh, you were recalling uh, when John arrived. And and uh, so so you let's let's recreate the scene a little bit of uh, what things Uh-oh. what were things like <laughs> at WBT uh, during that time Uh-oh. when you started, and then John comes, and then uh, we'll kind of go from there.
3: Well, I mean, it was uh, we we had another news director at the time who later went On to become uh, the spokesman for Carolina's Medical Center, Scott White. Uh And uh, he went to that job and they wanted somebody to, you know, to replace Scott. Right. And uh, so I think John was was one of the applicants and got hired. I don't don't recall there being a lot of turmoil (laughs) involved, but uh, it was a a period where. you know the uh, it was this was back when the space shuttle shuttle challenger blew up and that, that's the time period and so uh the the Jim and Tammy Baker scandal was unfolding right around that time and uh, the, the, other than that uh, I think it was just a matter of John coming over he took over as news director and we were sort of rebuilding our news department at that point
6: Now, John, what do you remember uh, about your time arriving here and and what he speaks of? I remember that I was not looking. I was happy at
5: WFLA. Uh Um, I was not looking. I was recruited to come here, and um, I was enamored and sort of uh, interested in the idea of coming to North Carolina. Um, that was a big part of it. It really was. Uh, I it, it what it, It's funny to say this now. I, I do remember back then thinking, living in Florida, we were living in, in Tampa, and I remember thinking, you know what? This, this place is just going to become so huge. I don't know that I want to raise a family here. It's going to become just inno- annoying. Let me go to some place that's a little bit smaller, a little bit slower, and look what's... <laughs> <laughs> look Look what's happened to Charlotte. Yeah, look at Charlotte's become
6: uh, <laughs> well,
5: the beast that I was trying to get away from.
6: Well, I think it's interesting because both of you came to WBT from established stations. I mean, uh, Jim, you mentioned WDBO, you mentioned WIS, John's talking about WFLA. Uh, was there... Uh, I know that you were recruited, but what did both of you know of and think of, of WBT before you got here? Was this somewhere that you... Uh, what did you think of the station? Was it something that was bigger than where you had been or, or I'm not talking about the size of the city, but I'm talking about the, the cachet of the call letters.
5: I think they were similar uh, at least in my mind at that time. Um, uh, the, the news the, to me the news staff were uh, the numbers were the same. Mm-hmm. I do recall thinking uh, when, when I was interviewed to go to WFLA, I do recall asking uh, the news director at that time, Lee Hall, I was I was asking. I said, you know what? This place is—is is there really an interest in news here? Because it's Florida, and it's it's transient people. At least in my—that's that was my perception it's transient people. Do they really care about what I would come here to do? Are they interested in news, or are they just? Oh, they just come here to vacation. And he convinced me that no, this is this is the honest to goodness news market you'd be doing good work here you'd be asked to do good work here it, it, and and that mattered to me um and and i i didn't have those same concerns coming to charlotte charlotte's not not Florida, obviously, mm-hmm. as far as that that
3: goes. Jim, what about you? Uh, what was WBT uh, in your eyes before you worked here? Well, I had a very high opinion of WBT when I worked in Columbia at WIS, and that was my first real full-time radio job, and Charlotte was always sort of the big brother to Columbia. Columbia was uh, sort of small but getting larger, but it's still, you know, not that big. And, and Charlotte was where all the good rock concerts were held. <laughs> and and, and I, I'd known some people that uh, had worked at WBT and I had a very high opinion of the station. It's funny you mentioned Lee Hall. He was my news director in Orlando. Right. Yes. <laughs> at the time I left. So a couple of people going to BT said goodbye to Lee Hall to come up there uh, here. And uh, I was very happy. In fact, when I came up and started over on the on the FM side with John Boy and Billy, nothing against them. I liked them a lot. I was, I was kind of s- sorry that I wasn't going to start right in the WBT newsroom. But I knew Really, they shared newsrooms, and w- when I finally did get hired over to BT, I didn't have to change my workstation. <laughs> it was the well, same, and, and, same place. And
6: we didn't know what John Boy and Billy were going to uh, become. Not that they – you you could see the talent back then, uh, but who who could have foreseen that they would have uh, uh, gone on and done what they did? I mean, at least – i maybe you guys saw that, but I, that was not in the infancy of what they were trying to do, so –
3: yeah, and uh WBT was really where I wanted to be. Right. And I you I knew a lot about its reputation being the first station down here and uh it was it was great to finally be a, a member of the news team here. Well,
6: when you have two people like uh, the two of you, uh I don't think it's odd that uh, you end up having people in common that you know because uh, people who are are good in this business have a way of uh, coming back around because the the cream rises to the top. Uh, There's a name that... Uh, Came back into play a few months ago when John was announcing his retirement. A lot of people that are somewhat new to the station may not have realized that uh, you and Al Gardner had crossed paths earlier in your career. And I'm curious, uh, can you talk a little bit about working with Al before WBT? And did you ever think uh, that you'd cross paths with him again?
5: Answer the second part first. No, never (laughs) would think that, you know, that we would work together, again. come again together. Yes. Uh, as far as working with Al, uh, you know, Al, yeah. I mean, the guy is, is, he's, he's, he's got quite the personality. I, I never had a lick of trouble with him. He was working in the news department mm-hmm. a, as opposed to what he was doing here when he, he was the morning host. And those are, those are different things. But when you're on a news talk station, you're still, you still have to have uh, you know, the same approach to things where you're, you, ha- you have to think with a news mind and that kind of thing. Although listening to you lately, you're playing the saxophone a lot. Uh, <laughs> I,
6: I'm yeah. glad to know you're listening. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and that proves to me that you are. <laughs> Loved working with Al. Loved working with Al both in Florida and here. You know, I've 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 heard different stories from different people. They have different opinions on things. I'm not one of those that has any kind of issue with Al. Wonderful person. um, Enjoyed the heck out of it.
1: We've had the discussion constantly. You know, my wife loves Mel Gibson. She say, you know, she said, well, that is the one person that I would be tempted with. You know, would you give me permission? Kind of thing. Who gets you going now? Well, for me, it's kind of Cindy Crawford
6: when she first came out. (laughs) Madeleine Albright. Well, and and I have to think that when you heard that he was coming here, uh, having that uh, familiarity with him and, and knowing how he operates, and and look, I worked with Al for a long time too, and uh, you know, uh, like you say, uh, Al's quite the personality, and everyone will say this. I think that uh, that Al is a pro, yes. and Al has been here and there and everywhere in between, and uh, you know, working with him, you know what you're getting when you work with him, mm-hmm. and so you knew when he was coming here, you knew the work ethic you were going to
5: get, you knew he was going to bring it every day, yes.
6: So uh, WBT. Now, uh, you guys, we've established, are, are both here. You've arrived. It's it's the late 80s, uh, much different time than now, and we'll talk about how times have changed. But I, I do want to talk about... Um what your roles were when you first got here. So I have audio from both of you in my archives where you are both out reporting. Uh, I have, uh, you know, John, the one I always come back to uh, in my head is, uh, w- you mentioned 1987 and, and Jim Baker. I have audio of you reporting from that trial when uh, the day that Jim Baker was in the field position over on the floor in the corner. I yeah, know He was hiding out, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jim, I have uh, several different uh, uh, stories uh, among many. Uh, you covering plane crashes. I think one of them was 1994, and I think another one was in the late 80s. But my point being, both of you all earlier in your career at WBT were out in the field on occasion. Uh, in the later years, you were anchors. Um, John, uh, I don't have much of a memory of you reporting because it's, it's been a while since you were out there, but were you doing much of that when you no, started?
5: No, not really, um, because when, when I first started here, I was a news director and anchoring a shift, and that's a full-play to also go out and street report, but I did some of that, not a lot. Did you like um, to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it depended what the story was yeah uh, you, when you when you have when you have the big sexy stuff, oh yeah, home run. The other things that we had to do that you had to do to either because there's nothing else going on um, or or for whatever reason it was. Uh, not so much. Not so much. I don't know. I don't know why. Why that? I mean, that's not fair to, that you would say uh, one story is more worthy of me being on it than than any, any other. But I, I, in in some respects, I did look at them that way. That it, and I think a lot of people would say that it's more fun to do the big stuff. It really is. It's easier to do the big stuff because you're amped up and you you just you just bring it stronger. It's harder to 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 build a story out of something that. Maybe the back of your mind is maybe not quite, what it you know, not, not really worthy, for lack of a better word.
6: You've got to do more heavy lifting uh, on a story. Well, on the make small it, stories. To, to, make yes. it, uh, uh-huh. to make it relevant yep. or make it interesting to the listener. Yep. And, and both of you uh, did that so well over the years. Jim, uh, when you were reporting uh, in the early days, uh, what do you remember and think about
3: those times? Well, uh, I have to say that I liked street reporting. Probably more so than anchoring. I always felt like I was sort of in prison when I had to do anchoring because <laughs> you're in this cell all day yes, long <laughs> without windows. <laughs> but um, and also, let me just point out, I didn't know until this very interview and in, 10 minutes ago that you and Al Gardner worked together in Florida. <laughs> All, really? All the time I worked with Al and John. That's funny. Little things you learn on Bo's podcast. I'm glad you came today. Yeah. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> oh,
6: now, yeah. I, I knew about it because when I started here full-time in 1997, it was when Al got here as the producer of that show. And so I saw uh, up close some of those early planning meetings when John and Al and me and uh, who was it then, Rosinski and F- Fontana and Lauren Fox. But I remember some of these conversations we had. But that's
3: interesting because ah, I the planning meetings. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah, those things. We asked about reporting. I I tell you, I liked it as John said when the, when a big story came along, but I also there there was a beat that I was on for a while which was uh, criminal justice and I covered a lot of criminal trials which was always interesting as it was painful at times, but it was there was always good copy and things happening. And um the the, the only drawback from street reporting is there are days where you don't really know what's going to happen, and you know your your task is to go out and find what's going on, so you build up contacts and you have to mm-hmm. sort of call the police and call the lawyers and politicians and everybody else you know and keep up with the meetings down at city hall and all that stuff. And some of it's pretty boring, I have to confess, uh, <laughs> as our listeners will know. But, you know, you get a, a decent story. And I loved I loved court reporting. That was one of the things I enjoyed the most. But it, gradually over time, I mean, there are certain stories I hated, too, like uh, um, hazardous uh, fires and things like that if you're on the wrong side of which way the wind was blowing. you know. Hmm. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. You, you,
5: I just used one quick aside here. When he mentioned he loved the, the court reporting when I was in, at WFLA in Tampa, that seemed to be the thing. That I did all the time was the, the Hillsborough County Courthouse was a block away, so it made it easy. But yeah, I'd go make court checks, and 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 that was that was sort of my beat at the time. I don't know that I enjoyed it as much as you, that you <laughs> seem to. But uh, it's it's funny you should mention that because in my my previous life, yeah, I did the court beat. Yeah, the same thing.
6: Well, I mean, it's uh, kind of appropriate that uh, one of you likes one thing more than the other because you were kind of the yin and the yang of that newsroom, like I said at the beginning of this, for uh, the better part of three decades. And what I think uh, is also uh, worth pointing out is you were both news directors at different times. Mm -hmm. Uh, John came here as a news director and was here for 30 years. Jim, uh, over the course of the time you were here, towards the latter part of it, you were news director. Uh, and you both had each other on your staff during that time. So uh, not only is there that dynamic, uh, it's interesting you both, uh, I think, uh, was it John who just said it's like sitting in a cell all day? Or was it Jim that said that? Jim said Jim that. Jim said it was yeah. like sitting in a cell all day. So collectively, the two of you sat in a cell a lot. <laughs> yes. Over 30 yes. years. We did our time, darn it. Well, and and, and I want to ask and, about and I will say I never had a
5: better news director. Than the the, the, the one sitting across from me now. Yes, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be employed while he was running the shop. It was it was an amazing time. That's awfully nice of you to (laughs) say. Thank (laughs) you, Jim. It's the truth.
6: (laughs) Well, and so. I mean, the two of you. I mean, for a long time, it was like the two titans of the newsroom, and one was in the morning and one was in the afternoon. But for so many people listening to this right now, myself included, as I was growing up in Charlotte, uh, your two voices uh, during those two day parts, uh, it's like an alarm clock in the morning and like a a bell when it's time to go home in the afternoon. But you reported in the beginning uh, as an anchor. Uh, spending so much time there, more than anybody else did, this duo right here in front of me, more than anybody else did, anchoring the news. Uh, John, uh, when you look back on your years of doing that, um, uh, what comes to mind? you
5: talking about just the atmosphere or a single story?
6: Or... Well, I, I do want to talk about single stories here in a minute. Okay. Uh, but I want to talk about just the, the idea that you are the anchor of the ship when it comes to the newsroom. I, it, uh, everything, f- everything flowed through the two of
5: you. I enjoyed the heck out of it. It was fun. It gave me a chance to put my stamp on the news product. I took a great deal of pride in not just doing a story. But doing a story in a way that, that people had to go, well, well, what's that? What's that? Where it would catch their attention somehow, either, either it's through the way it's constructed, the way you present the story, uh, the pacing, the, the, the use of sound. Uh, in some way to grab people and say, stop what you're doing. This matters. This matters what we're doing right here. And it may not. It, you know, that's that's some of the trickery of what what I what I try to do. Some you know, truth be told, uh, tried to do many times is, yeah, this this may not be um, the make or break story of your life, but for right now it is. And hang around for the next stop set, please, because we we've got well, we've got to play some commercials.
6: There's an element of what you say uh, in that description, just like there was in. Uh, If you're on the street and it's a slow news day, you've got to make a story into something. You've got to make the person care. The story in of itself is not going to hold up like that. Find the
5: interesting thing.
6: Yeah. Yes. I -hmm. mean, I I hosted that show, or I have hosted that show, for uh, eight years now. I spent uh, seven of them with you, and there were mornings... When I'm sitting there and you say something and it it made me have to stop and <laughs> regather myself uh, because I didn't know what was coming, but that was the zingers that would come at the end. <laughs> the studio made broadcast news and Die Hard, and some of his
5: TV shows included Charlie's Angels and Fantasy Island. WBT News, time 6:01. The plane. The plane. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. do uh, I'm gonna try to continue. <laughs> your exergen
2: forecast now from the Weather Channel. Clouds are beyond the increase.
6: Nobody, today. nobody can lead off a newscast like John Stokes and make it sound like it is the story. A surgical strike tried to take out the Iraqi leadership. There was no word this morning how successful it was. President Bush gets it. By Oval the same office. token, it's the back end of that too. So, Jim, uh, your years as an anchor. Uh, when you think about being the voice that uh, put the the
3: exclamation point or the period at the end of somebody's day? Well, uh, you know, I'll echo some of what John said. Um, you know, you're you're really trying to just impart in as few words as concisely as possible uh, the, the big stories of the day. And... Used to be, you know, back in our earlier days, hey, the old folks here, you know, um, <laughs> we had a lot more reporters on staff than uh, radio news stations do nowadays, it seems like. And, and it made it a little easier when, you know, you could cut to a reporter on the scene somewhere as, uh, you know, journalism and newspapers and radio people have had to cut. And so it's more on the news anchor. Does more of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're writing all this stuff. And in John's case, I I have to say, I mean, the premier news writer and reader, I enjoyed the heck out of listening to him. I was glad he was on in the morning. I didn't think I could keep up that pace. And in the afternoon, you know, things are and his stories, uh, I mean there, there wasn 't a lot that happened in the two or three hours before he came on the air at five a m so he 'd be he 'd have a good a good chance to rewrite a lot of and sort of update a lot of what had happened the day or the night before. My afternoon stuff oftentimes was uh, breaking news things that were happening right then and, and there was a lot of incomplete story type material out there that I had to constantly update but it was it was still fun from the standpoint of and I was always the little kid that I always wanted to tell my mom, hey, guess what happened Joey fell out of the tree, you know, or uh, so-and-so beat up so-and-so. It was, I always wanted to be the first person to, to talk about something, you know. And so I guess that translated into my adult life as the afternoon news anchor. But uh, it... It was always uh, it was always a challenge. I enjoyed the opportunity to be able to you know try to get as much information as quickly as possible. And we did have some good reporters. I mean, Chris Miller was out there, and Mike Doyle, who's still here, yes. um, And uh, Joe Gillespie was here you know, before I left. But uh, it, having a staff of reporters definitely helps. But when you're in a position like John is in the morning, oftentimes um, you know having to just put it all together himself. Yeah, there's some network anchors out there, and you, you maybe have a, a leftover piece from a. a Reporter locally from the night before, that's that's helpful. But for the for the most part, you're having to write it, put it out there, take the news copy, rewrite it, you know, shorten it, keep it concise, and all that. And that's there's a challenge to that, but it's also fun. And satisfying to be able to do a good job, getting it out there as quickly as possible because you know people don't have a lot of time to listen to news and so if you can do it quickly and get a lot of stories in there, uh, and cover all the main points and main stories that are I, going on.
5: I can remember when I was in in college, one of my uh, professors at at, in, uh, at the University of Nebraska told me, and I'll, I'll never forget this. He, we were talking, about, you know, he said, "Oh, you're going to you're you're looking at doing the radio news thing." What what every radio newscast should include in his in his opinion at the time. You do the newscast and say for further information, consult your local newspaper. Because your your radio newscast is is, is what Jim's saying, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. bada bing bada boom for for the most part and and I mean that's just the way it is. I'll never forget that. That, of course, that never came to be, obviously. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, it's interesting. You mentioned college. So when I was in college, I was at Davidson College. And when I was at Davidson, I had started working at the, in this building when I was in high school. And both of you were working here then. Uh, I didn't have much interaction with you, but I was kind of lurking behind the scenes wherever they would let me work. On the weekends, on holidays, phone screen, whatever. When I was in college at Davidson, I used to come in that middle studio between the newsroom and the FM station at the time and work in that studio at night, because that's the only time it wasn't occupied, and I just wanted to learn the equipment and figure out how to use it, and most of it was trial and error, but one thing I remember, it'd be like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, or actually it would be about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning because I would, be, I would marvel at what time John Stokes walked through the door to begin his day. And that was one of the first uh, ideas that I got about, uh, wow, if you, you, know, you think this business is glamorous and you think this, uh, <laughs> this morning radio was the place to be, well, if you want to do it right and you want to be prepared, this is how early you have to start. That's, that's, to be fair, that's part of it is that I probably, probably
5: didn't need to come in when I did. Mm-hmm. But I, co- I come in at the time that I felt I needed to do what I would do to be happy with, mm-hmm. to do the job that I wanted to do. I didn't want to just slap it together. I wanted to do something that made me happy, made me proud to present to the audience. And if that meant coming in when I came in, that's what, that's what I was going to do. And, and uh, that's just the way it was. I'm sorry.
6: No, don't yeah. apologize. I marvel at it. And I, uh, it just adds more to the legend, to be honest with you. And it makes me respect your, your work more because I'd like to think that's the way I go at what I do. And I think Jim goes at what he does. I mean, you and I, I had a different, uh, different work style than Al Gardner did or Stacey Sims did because uh, I built a studio at home several years back. And uh, I happen to be that kind of guy who, I mean, I'm a production guy at heart. You know that. Mm-hmm. We used to talk about this. And, I kind of thought we were doing this year. Your house. Well, we, we could actually. I <laughs> uh, just we have more room here and more microphones. Okay, away. but I think uh, everybody has got to figure out what what makes them tick and, and how you can be the most successful. And it's interesting to hear you explain it like that because um, I remember thinking, "Wow, it's one starting your day at one But when when I get in, my lunchtime is, is essentially. What, uh, right after the show ends, and then my bedtime, if I'm, things are going well on a good night and my kids are, are, are done with school activities, I get to bed about 9 or 9.30. But I've always told people the hardest thing to do in this business is not to get up, it's to go to bed mm-hmm. at the right time. Yeah. Your schedule, how did your schedule, real quicker, how did your schedule work in the years you were an anchor? It changed because uh, for, part, for part of it, it was raising children.
5: Uh, and that's, you know, that, that there's a bit of a demand there. And I can rem- I can remember some, there were times when it was, oh gosh, not incredibly early, 7, 730, something like that. And there I am, I'm asleep on the couch. And of course the kids are rambling around. Um, and as the kids got older and started to understand things and uh, could be dealt with, by a single parent, as you will. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I was. I would sort of back away and and oh, Daddy's got to go to bed. That kind of thing. But there was a time, yeah, where I was. I was up much later than it got
6: to be uh, in in the more recent past. And Jim, uh, for the majority of your career, you anchored afternoons. Yeah, most of it, right. And uh, what was your work schedule day like? I mean, not as as. Uh, uh, unusual as that
3: one, but it wasn't 9 to 5 either. No, it wasn't, And I, but let me tell you, I'm glad not to have had that because I, when I first started here, I had, I got up early and came and worked the morning shift and I, I remember taking my my daughter to the doctor and he'd be explaining stuff and I'd be falling asleep <laughs> while he was talking to me. One time he said, Jim? Jim? And I'm sitting in my daughter's doctor's office. <clears throat> anyway, afternoons, I liked uh, it was a different, very relaxing, you know, come in about Nine thirty or ten o'clock in the morning, uh, roughly, and so none of the demands of uh, having to get up early. On the other hand, John never had to deal with morning traffic all all right. the years. <laughs> yeah, and, I can my, and my, I can my
5: my morning traffic coming in at one o'clock was just uh, my assumption was that every other car is a drunk driver. I'm just assuming, no matter who's out there at 1 o'clock, they, they must have just left a watering hole So Or it's a cop. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah,
3: yeah in the mornings I, that I did come in, sometimes John would be on vacation, I'd do a shift. You know, you'd see cars on fire on Independence Boulevard and cops doing all kinds of stuff. Because, you know, all the people are out then doing their right. thing. But, you know, on the other hand, sometimes I would have to work late. Uh, I think John... Luckily, managed to never have to work in election because he always well, had to... it was a couple. Okay, a okay. couple. No, well,
6: and I actually have some proof here. I've done some digging, as I am prone to do. You guys both know that. 1987. Let's take a, a walk back down memory lane. WBT's Jim Barrel is
2: at the computer right now with the latest information. Jim, WBT Election Central. We're still
3: waiting for that last precinct, which is, as uh, Bill Culp told us, precinct number 54 to determine uh, the outcome of the Sue Myrick-Harvey-Gantt race, which appears to be determined already, with uh, Sue Myrick 51% of the vote, Harvey Gantt 49% of the vote. And we'll
2: pitch it back to John Stokes here. Jim, if you've got any information uh, on uh, other races in Cornelius, Davidson, Huntersville, Matthews, Pineville, uh, other places like that, have those uh, started to come in yet?
3: Yeah, some of, the, some of those have been extremely slow getting into the computer, but we do have some.
2: 47,310 for Sue Myrick, 46,300 for Harvey Gantt. And what we've been calling uh, tonight is a huge, huge upset in the race for the mayor
3: of Charlotte. Can Jim hear us? Uh, yes, he Jim, can. Jim, what do you, do you have the finals yet on the at-large council? Yes, we do. Those are all in now. I'll run those down again. Al Russo was a top vote-getter. Now, this is for four seats on council. Al Russo was the number one uh, candidate with 17 percent. Uh, Richard Vinroot, 16 percent. Gus Campbell, John A. Gus Campbell, third, with 15 percent. And Cindy Patterson, Fourth, also with 15%. Now, Ron Leeper was fifth. You were talking about that race. Had- I, I didn't want to shortchange you by saying he never worked an election, but oftentimes I would be working late knowing that, uh, you know, John had to get up early. Sometimes I'd still be there when he would come in in the morning. Once he showed up, I said, I got I to get out of here. <laughs> it was just, it's just surreal. It really is. It's like two worlds
5: crossing, you know, in the middle of the night. It's yeah. just bizarre.
6: Well, I mean, and it reinforces the fact that you, the two of you sitting in front of me right now for so many years, 30 years were the two pillars, uh, t- you know, front and back of, of the broadcast day. And at a station like WBT, uh, that I don't say that lightly. There were a lot of very respected names in between and lots of talent that both of you all have seen over the years. But uh, to hold down the two day parts like you did for so long is uh, is a remarkable stretch. And I... I I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another station in the entire country that has two people for so long at the same positions that uh, were as good and as influential as you were. Because there are a lot of people in
3: this building that were inspired by the work that you did. Can I just say, um, it's funny because as, as long as John and I worked together in the same newsroom, we probably... Uh, didn't talk to each other during those years as much as we have in the last five. He's right, <laughs> just by the, the 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 way our our worlds
5: were. We were in different orbits a lot of times. And now yeah. you
3: know why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, th- for moments like this, yeah. I love this. I, you know, I knew what he had to do. I knew what he was doing when I walked in in the morning. I didn't want to bother him. And in the afternoon, you know, he he was gone after, at the end of his air shift. But we always knew. When he came in or when I came in and he was doing something, I, I'd know what he was up to. He knew what I, was, I had to do. If there was something very important to be communicated between the two of us, it was usually in a couple of sentences, and then it was, see you later. But, I mean, all that time that we worked together, you'd think that, oh, well, we did all this stuff together. We, we worked totally different shifts. And so it's been great getting to know John as a person. <laughs> and and if I could years. just
5: add to that, and, and that's too bad. It really is that we didn't get to do stuff. I didn't didn't get to, to, yeah, more than we did. It really is.
3: Yeah, I'm learning a lot about him. Like he he referees high school football and all these things that I had no idea. Well, I knew, but I just, uh, we never got to share a lot of stuff. Well, I'm not done with radio
6: questions, but since you bring that up, let's uh, fast forward for a second. Because both of you now are out of the grind. You're out of the day-to-day. What is life like now that you're not doing what you did for so long?
5: That's a tough question to answer for me, uh, mainly because I'm what? Pretty new at the retirement Yeah, thing. yeah. see, I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still learning. I'm still in kindergarten as far as
6: <laughs> retirement goes. So, I mean, I, uh, the only thing I'm not doing is getting a nap. Well, how weird is it not to be on that schedule that you were on for so long? You're on a normal person's schedule now. I feel better physically. Um, I, I'm. Uh, my wife will attest to this.
5: That wow, he doesn't mind doing th- going out <laughs> at night. If we went to a concert or something, wow, look at him. He's uh, talking to people. Wow, he's not a zombie. Um, so in that respect, I guess it's been beneficial. But again, it's it's only a little while into it. I've uh,
6: hopefully got a long way to go and and a lot to learn. How about you, Jim? How has life changed since you left WBT?
3: Well. Probably more of a change than than John. We we left Charlotte about six months later. Um, I was uh, through here right about the time I was ready to retire, and so we decided we didn't want to stay in the city, and so we moved to the mountains. And you know we didn't know anybody there. We had a few people who came up there, so we were sort of adjusting to a whole new part of the country. It's still North Carolina, but it's it's different, and. I'm loving it. Uh, you know, we I have a dog and a cat. Uh, I get to take walks every day, sometimes go for a little jog if it's downhill, a lot of downhills. <laughs>
5: and I, I've, I've been to Jim's house. It's absolutely spectacular. <laughs> Where he's living
3: now It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Man, oh, man. It's pretty. In, in, oh. in the winter, you can see the mountains. In, oh. the, in the summer, it's like a jungle, so you can't see anything. But uh, we, we enjoy it. We like it up there. And, um, you know, I can't complain. I, I've done a little... I was I missed radio enough that I looked around to see if there was any part time work, and there was a station in Asheville uh, that I did some things with for a while, and uh, but I've gotten away from that now. I, I think it's just you know full time retirement is where it's at. So. And that's the same uh, station uh, where Pete Callender was for a long time, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, WWNC, uh, and uh, they're they're a news talker in the Asheville market that's been around for a while. So back to radio. Um
6: I want to talk in more of a grand sense, because part of the reason I'm doing this podcast uh, I mean, on one level, it's to catch up and, and hear stories you never got to hear with people like the two of you, but it's also to, as we get closer to the 100th anniversary of this radio station in a few years, it's to look back at how Charlotte has changed during that time. And I think the lens that the two of you Look through and and heard things through uh, is, is as good as anybody's to kind of gauge where we were and where where we've come uh, to. 1987, you start here in this in this market. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier, uh, both of you, about uh, uh, the size of Charlotte then versus the size of Charlotte now. But John, uh, from where you sat uh, and working in that newsroom, 1987 through 2000 nineteen uh you know how how did you see the city of charlotte that you that you anchored and reported on change over those three decades i think it's i think it's been gradual up until
5: the last say five to seven years, and then it's just been like a boulder rolling down a hill the 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 it's is astronomical change physical change that we've seen um demographic change obviously in in a lot of different ways um, but up until that point it was it, it was still it was just still kind of a leisurely pace. It was just, it's, it, what I would characterize as just natural growth. You had, we, you know, first came here, uh, not too long after I got here, the Hornets came. Mm-hmm. A couple of years later, we got the football team.
2: Well, as you can tell, it's, uh, it's quite the pandemonium at Founders Hall in uptown Charlotte, where uh, the, uh, the folks have been gathered for several hours now for a victory celebration that for a while there, we were wondering if uh, indeed it would happen, and and it has. And now they've had some uh, indoor fireworks uh, going off in the building, and. Uh People continuing to cheer. Let's uh, let's touch base once again with Jerry Richardson in Chicago.
0: Uh, we're just delighted to be in the NFL, and I'm sure that we'll be placed where we should be would be the most helpful to the NFL, and wherever that is. We'll be happy to be there. Thank you very much.
2: So wrapping things up in Chicago, a very happy man. He'll uh, probably you won't have won't be able to get some sleep tonight. Uh, it's it's been a very exciting day and a very full day for him, with the announcement coming down just a short time ago that the, the Carolina Panthers are the newest uh, NFL expansion team, and the vote was unanimous. I don't know if we uh, re- re- passed that along to you. Well, they also tell us, uh, NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue, making the announcement that the other team, uh, the second team that they were trying to get uh, to, to come to some sort of decision on today, that decision won't be coming until November 30th. And as uh, Jerry Richardson uh, jokingly remarked, even though he is a new NFL owner, he will not be voting on who will join him as uh, the owner of uh, an expansion team. We will have more throughout the evening on uh, this uh, very exciting night here in the Carolinas, but right now we need to get back to Charlotte Hornets basketball.
5: It just seems like it's been picking up steam. In, in the last decade or so. I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Well, she was just out some place the other day, and she says, oh, you know that place over there where there used to be all that? And it's all gone now. It's just totally di- – they put up – you know, just everywhere you go, there's something new, something different, something bigger or better or whatever. And it's just uh, – you, know, you drive down the, the South Boulevard and the light rail and then, then now heading the light rail to UNCC. And the the it's just amazing – The transformation of this city um, that we've seen. And it's like I said earlier. I had those fears in Tampa, that Tampa was going to be this town we didn't want to live in. I'm not saying I don't want to live in Charlotte. It's just, I I guess I I learned this lesson that you can't run from it
6: unless you want to go where Jim is, (laughs) and that, that wouldn't be too bad an idea. Well, and before you answer that question, Jim, I think it's important to think back. I mean, I grew up in Charlotte, so I know exactly how things were to me back in 1987. 1987, if you want to know what the biggest thing going in Charlotte, and this is you know several months before the Hornets actually started play because their first game was in the fall of 88 mm-hmm. so in 1987 when the two of you thereabouts got here what was on the cover of the phone book which was a, a good uh a signifier of, of what was hip and big in charlotte you remember what it was it, i know what it, it was. wasn't me <laughs> it, was, it was the ramses exhibit oh wow at the mint museum wow So you think about if, you know, phone books aren't a thing anymore in 2020, but if they were, what would be on the cover right now? Uh, Probably David Tepper. I don't know. He's turned this town upside down in the last uh, couple of years. But uh, Ramsey's was our claim to fame back then. Uh, You all mentioned PTL, and I could think of some other stories. But, Jim, uh, between 1987 and 2016 for you, when you think back uh, over the trajectory of of Charlotte as you saw
3: it, what, what do you say? Well... I was impressed, uh, at the time, uh, when I first got here, you know, I came from Orlando, which was sort of a, an entertainment town more than anything. It was a lot of fun, but coming to Charlotte was like back to reality, but it was a nice town. And I, I remember at the time, and people said this for a long time, we're about, Oh, 20, 25 years behind Atlanta. And I think it's always been the case. I mean, you look at Atlanta now, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, Dallas almost was when mm-hmm. we, and, um, uh, but I, I never envisioned Charlotte being like Atlanta. Now I look at Charlotte. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like Atlanta was 25 years ago you know, and complete with light rail and everything else, uh, except for Major League Baseball, which I hope they get. That would be nice. And then,
6: then maybe Jim would move back to Charlotte. Right? Oh, I might
3: I might even consider that. I'm a big baseball fan. That is one thing that we've got
5: in common big time is baseball. <laughs> yes.
3: But, yeah, Charlotte was uh, – you talked about, you know, you were around and a lot of people who were listening weren't or were just small. Uh, Charlotte was kind of a sleepy town at night. It was, it had a nice skyline. Uh, there were a few big banks. Uh, you know, Hugh McCall was the big guy in town. Harvey Gantt was the mayor. Um, and I forget who was governor at the time. But uh, Jim Martin, I believe. It was, yes. Yeah, there was a bunch of gyms. I remember that. <laughs> it was like four gyms in a row as governor. But uh, you, you could come downtown at night and the place was shut down. You can't imagine it like that now, uh, but that's you had uh, crosswalks between buildings. You know, there was a the little uh, mall, the inside mall, almost like it was Minnesota or something. People would freeze to death if they. If they but, but it was just, the Skywalk thing. Yeah, the yeah. Skywalk. Yeah, it was the the Overstreet yeah, Mall. Overstreet, right? there you yeah. go. Yeah, yes. and uh, but it was otherwise. It was pretty dead. You know, after about eleven o'clock at night. Nowadays, you know, you walk around pretty much twenty four hours almost, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's it's totally different, and I, I was amazed. It, as John said, within the past seven or eight years, especially, it's taken off. But you know, I think getting uh, the Hornets and getting the Panthers focused a lot of national attention on on this area, uh, along with the you know I eighty five corridor in general. I mean, North Carolina has just grown exponentially, and so and Charlotte being kind of the flashpoint. But, you know, working here and watching all of that happen and all the stories associated with the growth and the sports teams coming and, you know, the whitewater and you name it, the airport expanding, just everything. The Beltway. I remember the first section of Beltway, <laughs> yes. the Jim Martin freeway, which yes. was like a half a mile. It's like, eventually this will be, you know, <laughs> 30 years later, they finally finished it. But uh, it's just it's been amazing to be in one place as long as we've lived here and then see all of the changes. I think Charlotte probably is one of the fastest-growing cities or has been over the past 30 years, and we were privileged to be here as that it's, happened.
5: It's the kind of thing that makes you wonder, we can't keep doing this because it's just been so astronomical. You think at some point we get you got to settle down and just kind of just start living here. Uh, but I'm, I don't know. I don't know what what we can see in the next 10 years here. Would
6: either of you ever have said that we would have not one but two political conventions in this town?
3: I don't that was not on my horizon. No, I yeah, you know you don't think about it until it happens. But yeah. uh, as things began to develop around town and uh, you know the first one came along it it doesn't surprise me that we've got another one going yeah. along.
6: Yeah, I mean, you have uh, the Republican and the Democrat within eight years of each other. And having uh, grown up as well here and watched this, you both uh, mentioned what I figured would come into play somewhere, which is the fact that uh, the, the basketball team, the Hornets, the NFL team, the Panthers, had a lot to do with putting Charlotte on the map. Well, you know, now that uh, we've had two political conventions, or will have had two, In that short span, less than a decade. Now you have David Tepper essentially saying, uh, we're going to have to talk about this stadium and talk about a roof and talk about renovations, because that's what will put us into the conversation of being in a possible Super Bowl rotation every seven years. Now, I mean, not even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that Charlotte... The, the knock on Charlotte was always, you don't have enough hotel rooms, you don't have enough convention and that's space. Changing. And yeah. that's not the case anymore. Yeah. So uh, it really is remarkable. I'm talking to uh, Jim Barrell and John Stokes, legends from the WBT Newsroom on the Century Podcast here. And uh, I want to talk about uh, some things individual to each of you as you covered the news. If I said, John Stokes, what is the or one of the... Uh, biggest stories you ever remember covering, or it can be being the anchor the morning that it broke. Is there a story or two that, when I say your time at WBT, kind of comes into your head?
5: 9-11. Yeah. There's no way around it. It was 9-11. It was, I mean, <laughs> come on. It, Maybe
6: I should. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm. It, that was, uh, was an incredible day. I was here. All three of us were here. Uh, Jim, would, would your answer be the same?
3: Yeah, Hugo was big. 9-11 was, was equally big from a national perspective, but it affected everybody's consciousness. I think the only
5: difference, is, I would go along with that, I'd say the only difference is the 9-11 is the shock factor. Hugo is, the, is where we just got pummeled, yes. You were, you were sort of like um, unconscious for a while because of what Hugo did. But 9-11 was the shock factor of it. It was it was one of those things I'll never forget that. And I, I sort of feel funny saying this that when it was unfolding, I'm sitting there going.
6: Is this real? Yeah, seriously. Wow. And and that's a I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's something both of you had to do as a news anchor when news breaks like yeah, that. Yeah, Then you had to go back to work. But but there was a moment I'm, you're, you're
5: sitting there. You, the human being in you is going, wow, this is real. Okay, back to
6: work. Well, but you have to determine in that moment, uh, you have to make a, a call. You have to be on the front line of that breaking news dissemination. And it's not, it's
5: not easy. There are, there are a lot of times I have found myself making decisions based on not personal feelings, but either what the broadcast property wants, what, what's everybody talking about, at this particular time where there may there may be something inside me and say oh come on let's let, let's back away from this thing let's don't this this doesn't deserve to be we don't need to go bonkers on this story then you put that away and and you go on and do your job you put that aside to do your
6: job um and it's it's not easy so 911 that's an overarching story for anybody who's in this business and and the uh, the unique thing about that was, we can talk about stories like Hugo that were unique to our area of the country. Uh, you can talk about stories that uh, are important to an audience for one reason or another, given history and backstory and what have you. 9/11 happened in New York City. It happened in uh, in, in uh, Washington. It happened in in uh, that field uh Shanksville. But uh, it every station in the country was on the air doing their version of coverage of that because it was something that big in scope. Well, that's the kind of story that it that's a network story. That's a national
5: story. The, the part of it that, that would then you if you're WBT, what you deal with in then, then then you go for the local angles here. And those, those aren't always apparent when something like uh, as catastrophic as that is unfolding, then you look for the, the, the local angles here to localize and the story and make it relatable to the Charlotte audience. I've always said the bigger the story, the more people already know about it. Your job then is to find the stuff they don't know about. Let's do the other things.
6: Well, and, and, and Jim, I'm sure you remember times where you were in that studio, and uh, there's an adrenaline that kicks in if you're a news anchor. Um, and I say this not being a news anchor necessarily I'm, I'm a quasi-news anchor, but you guys are the ones that I watched over the years and kind of built my work ethic and understanding of what the certain standards should be. But uh, there are times when you are in the middle of a newscast or in the middle of a day and something breaks and you realize uh, this is going to be one of those moments that I'm always going to remember. Uh, I assume that's a bit of what goes through your head when Hugo takes a rogue turn and goes up through Charlotte or you see on the screen that 9-11 is happening. You remember moments like that where you think, okay, uh, this is a JFK type moment. This is a Challenger in 1986 kind of moment. I'm on the air right now. Uh, History is going to judge me because they're going to hear this.
3: Yeah, when you're in the anchor chair, it's a little bit different. When you're out, you know, covering something like uh, we had, a, we've had a couple of plane crashes here since I've been here. Yeah, this was the summer of 1994. You're just joining us. The news is that a DC-9, a U.S. Air DC-9 is what we've heard, uh, flight number 1016 went down with 55 people on board, five crew, 50 passengers, originating in Columbia, uh, flying into Charlotte, came in in uh, a brief thunderstorm that popped up in the area at the time, which was shortly before 7 o'clock. For whatever reason, the pilot was asked to go around again, uh, a routine procedure, and on the go-around, that is... uh, uh, instead of landing, he uh, gave it power and started back up again. That's when he, uh, he crashed into a field not far from Wallace Neal. Uh, we've had uh, various reports from eyewitnesses of uh, people coming from the scene. There was one uh, person who said he saw a man whose clothing was on fire. They helped him. There have been other reports of people taken alive and talking from the scene of the crash. Okay, we're going to go back to Brad Schultz now, who's on the scene. Brad?
0: we just finished a quick briefing here from jerry Orr, who's the aviation director uh he did confirm to us uh, those buses are being used to bring the injured out as for numbers uh we we quizzed him again and again and again as to how many people may have died in this uh,
3: crash of uh, flight 1016 and we're being told that at least 10 people are dead the number was hovering also right around
2: looks like a couple of the uh solid rocket boosters uh blew away from the side of the shuttle in an
3: explosion.
0: My controller's here looking very carefully at the situation.
1: Obviously a major malfunction.
3: You talk about uh, the Challenger. I just moved here from Orlando like three months earlier. And it was the first launch since I'd left Orlando. And I'd covered a lot of space launches. I was just watching it. And they cut away about 15 seconds before the thing blew up, you know, say, okay, I'm uh, Rob Navius, uh, Kennedy Space Center. They're headed to orbit. And then we were sort of watching and then suddenly the thing blew up and and we were all in the newsroom. And for about 30 seconds, nobody said anything. We were just sort of watching. And finally somebody said, we better get this on the air. Because we'd already broken away, coverage was over. You know, everybody thought the thing was going. And at that point, I think for the first time in my life, I had to get on and say something. About it. I remember my voice actually breaking because I was the emotion. Yeah, I couldn't help it. It was just it was talking about, you know, you heard the shuttle go up a few minutes ago and uh, it just exploded. Uh, and then you cut over to the, the coverage from the network as they follow up and everything. But you, you are affected by it in the anchor chair. It's a little bit different when you have to go out and cover it. You know, you're gathering information, following up on stories. Uh, and both of them are difficult to do. But at the same time, you're involved in the act of gathering the news to make sure that people find out quickly about what's happening. And, you know, you try to do as good a job as you can getting the information to people. And that's mainly what it's all about.
5: I think it's I think it's kind of like you're a, a, never having done this. It's kind of like a, being a soldier in combat. The shot, the, you know, the, the, the shooting starts and then your training kicks in and, and you do your job. Yeah, the shooting starts and you're you're thinking, "Oh boy, am I going to make it through this day?" Um and I'm not in any way trying to equate working in a newsroom is the same as being
6: in combat, but uh, then your training kicks in and you and you just do your job. How about influences? This can be people in this building. It can be inspirations in the business before you were in this building. But when you talk about inspirations or voices or people that have come along the way, uh, maybe it was before your WBT career, maybe it was during, are there people along the way that that come to mind that that had a huge influence on your career?
5: I can't. It's not any one person, Mm -hmm. though. I think it was just the idea for me of doing something... That I felt was important to people. I, I can't think of any one person um, that really said or that, that really got to me and said, "Wow, well, I want to be like you." No, I, I think I found my own way in that regard. But I just, I just felt like the collective journalism community um, was was something that was important to me, and I, I thought it was an important uh, important calling. Not, not, not one particular person for me, anyway.
3: It's why you should say that. Uh, you, you listen and you hear uh, network people, uh, and you say, "Oh, that guy is really good," or that woman. She's, you know, her presentation is just so dead on. And, uh, but I can't really think of any specific news people. I mean, Charles Osgood was my was my favorite person for a long time. A lot of people uh, might remember him from CBS. He did a lot of commentary, and I always got a kick out of him. He was so creative.
1: The Osgood File. I'm Charles Osgood on the CBS Radio
3: Network. You try to you just try to emulate the people who do it straightforward and uh, without too much hyperbole, and just getting the story out there and writing well and that sort of thing. And there are a lot of people like that out there. As John and I were sort of uh i guess mainstays Uh, We had a lot of reporters who came and went. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Pete Combs, who just died recently, who was a a great morning reporter, Raise a toast to the guy. With more, we go back to News Talk 1110 WBT's Peter Combs in Atlantic Beach. Hurricane Ophelia has whipped the
2: ocean into an amazing foamy fury. The waves are now crashing up onto the beach and through the sand dune fence that separates the beach from the hotel property where I'm staying. The water is is jetting through the dunes, washing many of them away. The only thing holding the dunes together now are the sea oats,
3: and the water itself is starting to approach this hotel. And so many others. Uh, you know, you you miss them when they go. You're happy when they go to to other jobs and do well. And, you know, some of them just disappear off the face of the earth, and you wonder what happened to them. And But I think the camaraderie of just being able to work with like-minded people. Uh, you know, John and I, as it turned out, were, we're very like-minded once we found out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, But, you know, there's, like I say, there's so many things that happen, just the the day-to-day, dealing with the kind of news we have to report sometimes. You know, you you get into the, the the kinds of black humor that you just oh boy, you know, you, you don't even want to talk about. But it, it's newsroom it's humor. Just just having to, to yeah. blow off a little steam. I'm sure police have to deal with, it, soldiers have to deal. With it. You know, you see a lot of stuff, and you see a lot of uh, really bad stuff at times. But it's it's not all like that. But you just so much. There's so much that you see when you report the news because you know everything everything out there that's worthy of reporting the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there. There was a school bus crash probably about 25 years ago where three kids died up north of Charlotte. I, I, it took me a long time to get over that because I was out there when they, they the kids were still on the bus... And everybody knew that they were still on the bus, and the parents came by, and they were asking us questions, and we didn't know what to say to them, you know, and just seeing the look, I can still see the looks on parents' faces, stuff like that 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 stays with you that, like I say, first responders see that stuff all the time, and we, we do some of the time, and so... You have to, like I say, you blow off some steam afterwards. and uh, But the, the things that you remember the most, I think, are the good times and just being able to sort of share things. And you're out on the street with other reporters from other outlets, news outlets, and people exchange information. You get to know each other. And, uh, I mean, we know people on TV down the hall that we've seen who've come and gone, Channel 3. And uh, it's just, you know, it's like one big family, really. I would say...
5: If you're reminiscing about my time here, this and uh, it's not about one person; it's about an environment. And part of that environment was the Pine Terrace, <laughs> the cafeteria we had in this building, and Mrs. Cal- Mr. and Mrs. Kelly who ran the thing. Oh my gosh. I wish we had something like that again. Uh, and it's not so much—it's not so much that it was convenient that we had a place to get lunch and, and things like that. They were wonderful people. And beyond that, you had the rest of the building would show up, and you'd have the camaraderie that I
6: miss. That kind of thing. I, I don't know. I don't know where you find that anymore. Well, and there are people who may be listening to this podcast that work here now. That have no idea what that used to be down right there downstairs. So, yep. about two or three vending machines now, and uh, it's evolved over the years. But yeah, I, I'm always thankful. Uh, I'm I always say that I'm thankful that I started working in this business where at least for three or four years I had to cut and. You know, cut tape and use the wax pencils and basically (laughs) learn all that goes in the carts and the machines so that I have an appreciation for how easy some of that stuff is now with the digital technology that we have. Um, But along the same lines, uh, I think there are, you know, probably some people and and maybe there are other businesses out there that still have some sort of cafeteria. But this building back in those days, I mean, the, the headquarters of the company for the broadcast division was upstairs. Upstairs, yeah. Three stations, um, counting WBTV down the hall. But uh, yeah, you're, you're right. That was a different time. And Mrs. Kelly's butter beans. Give me some. Mm,
3: wow, yeah. man!
6: You could get breakfast. You could get <laughs> yes. a, a breakfast for for under five bucks. That oh, would yeah. cost you uh, twenty going to a fast Stop. food. You're gonna make
5: me top. cry. <laughs> and,
6: and as Mary Kelly would always say, "Eat every carrot and pee on your plate." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And she'd look at you in the line, and she'd say, "You get all right. I'd like this and." Yeah. And? Uh, and I'd say, I'm done. That's, that's all I want. But you, you had enough money to buy several more things. Um, I love that. So as we uh, come towards the finish line here, uh, talking to John and Jim, uh, I always say to people when I have important people on the air, you know, big time guests, and I consider the two of you uh, huge guests in my eyes, uh, especially having worked here all my life and and watching different people come and go. I always say, uh, if I have a dignitary or a celebrity on, I say, you may not know this, but you are speaking over what I would call a 50,000-watt megaphone. Uh, You probably have no idea how many people actually are hearing this, and TV's more glamorous sometimes than other forms of media. But this station, even in the age of social media and digital technology and radio.com and all that, it's great. But the power of this radio station still is unique there are not many stations across the country, especially when the sun goes down, that have the power that this one does and so if we''re, we're this podcast will probably at some point be played over the air i 'm curious uh, both of you uh, if you had to have the microphone for a moment the platform to talk to those who listened to you over the years and uh, you became so so much a part of their lives, uh, is there something you 'd like to say to those people uh, a message to them? My my
5: message would be thank you and, and keep it up. Don't leave us. Stay with us. This place means so much to me, um, as it would to anybody who spent the amount of time that both Jim and I have spent here. It it means the world to me. It allowed me to raise a family here.
6: Um, it's, it's home. Just thank you with a capital T. I was going to ask you if you still listen, but you answered that question already <laughs> because you recalled a segment I did the other day. <laughs> yeah. I was listening this morning as well, yes. And that, uh, how weird is that to hear the station that you worked for for so long? It's, it's hard to
5: describe. On the one hand, I'm, I'm torn between, oh, I want to do that again, because it was so much fun. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the heck out of what I did. And then the other, the other side is, man, that's a lot of work. And I listen to what you do, and I don't know how you do it. I've said this before. I don't know how you do what you do. I could not do what you do it's too hard <laughs> well that's that's my takeaway from the when i'm sitting sitting in my chair in the morning drinking my
6: coffee listening oh, i t- could not do this <laughs> could not do what bo does well what bo does <laughs> Now, I want to say, uh, uh, Steve Counts, who is doing uh, Mm -hmm. news for us in the morning now, uh, actually has a history here, was Jeff Pilot at one point in time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he and I have talked, and when I found out he was coming here, uh, we we sat down, and he has a huge appreciation for the station. And he has said to me on a couple of occasions, uh, do you think I I could talk to John and Jim, because I'd love to just sit down and pick their brain, because they established what I aspire someday to be. So you have a guy who's in the chair in your particular chair there especially there now who uh, I hope I hope you appreciate that fact yes. that he uh he nice. reveres you both. Uh but uh, I feel very fortunate that I was able, I never realized I'd be able to be in the the host role working with you all those years ago. You and I started together, working together in 1997 when I was started as a producer with Al Gardner. And so I always tell people I have kind of two stints in my career here, really three if you count the years of high school and college, but full-time I have two stints and both of them, uh, a significant part of those times were with you. And uh, so, so much of the standard that I aspire to be or set for myself comes from what I watched you do. So thank you for all the years. Thank you. Um, It was an honor. And so I want to toss the same question over to Jim. Uh, If you could speak to those listeners that you served for so long and be up there on the the uh, The platform right now, what would you say to them?
3: Well, really, the same thing John said. It sounds almost corny, but you know we we get phone calls uh, in between those newscasts and over the course of 30 years, you talk to a heck of a lot of people, some of them the same people, but they're all nice. Well, okay, not all. <laughs> most. Depends of, on the story. Predominantly, and, and I'm sure there's some out there that I talked to over the years, and uh, some of them are gone now, but they're representative of the audience out there, but you, you never know how many people are actually listening, and, and so when you hear from some of them, you feel like, okay, they're representative of a certain segment of the listenership out there, And and when they have... Nice things to say and give you positive feedback, uh, that's good. Even the negative feedback, a lot of times you deserve it, you know. But um, it's just nice to hear from people if they didn't care. Then I'd that's be worse. worse.
2: Yeah, that's
5: worse.
3: <laughs> yes. So when they they take the time to call, and they always did. You know, we, we didn't even have time to answer the phone as much as we would like to have. But uh, just the people, just our listeners. You know, they tune in, and they, and they're the, the folks that are bread and butter. You know, so and they're just like us. And so you, you you're really trying to cater to people that are just human beings like like we are, and and that's the bottom line. You are both human beings, of course, but you're both legends,
6: and um, I don't take that phrase lightly, that term lightly. Uh, I'm kind of the de facto historian, have been for a long time here, uh, because I love it and because someone's got to do it. Someone's got to carry on the torch, right? Uh, But H.A. Thompson, Ty Boyd, uh, Al Gardner, Russell and Flynn, John Hancock, those are the names that I've talked to Uh, as part of this Century Podcast up until now that I have the two of you in here today. And with every one of them, I've asked this question, and I'll end this podcast by asking each of you this. That is, what do you hope that people say about the John Stokes era at WBT? Uh, Yeah, he was there when a lot of things happened
5: (laughs) and that he brought it every day you could you could count on him to not take a day off when he was on the air that's the way i approached it and if and if, and if they were hearing that then then i won cuz that's what i wanted to do I, I i wanted to bring it for the people every day
3: yeah, it's pretty much the same i mean uh, the people out there if they if they listened every morning then we knew that we were doing a decent job and uh, hopefully a good, a great job. And so just the fact of uh, we had good ratings all of those years, um, you know, people turned to us for news. We were the acknowledged news station. And, you know, just uh, having listeners tune in to WBT to find out what's going on, you know, as far as a, a news person is concerned, that's what it's all about. So uh, kudos to the people who are still here and— uh, to those who tune in every day just to try to find out what's going on. When I say the call
6: letters, WBT,
3: what does that mean to you?
5: Charlotte, North Carolina. Because I knew about this station way back before I came here. I was aware of this station and, and what it meant to um, the community and to as, as one of the legendary stations in the country. And I think that's part of the part of the, the why I was attracted to come here. You didn't have to explain to me back in the day what WBT was. I knew it. I knew.
3: Uh, the 50,000 watt blowtorch. Uh, that's, that's the way everybody used to describe it. And he it, still does. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, wait, he's a Colossus. Yeah, that's, yes. yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the crack engineering staff that we had all these years, pretty much the same people the whole time. And, uh, you know, Ron Tollison, uh, the ones who kept it on, kept it on the, you know, working down at the towers, uh, everything that needed to be done. I mean, you can't. You can't have a good Even radius. when our
5: towers got knocked down
3: by hurricanes. That's
5: right. Yeah, that's Which right. We, we talked about in <laughs> a
6: previous podcast. Yes. I mean, you're talking about names like Bob White mm-hmm. and Ted Bryan and Harold Hamrick and Jerry Dowd and, and obviously Ron Tollison. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that because uh, they don't get talked about enough. And uh, we can't do what we do, any of us,
3: without them. Yeah, they spent more on their college degrees than we did. <laughs> there have been
6: many times when
5: I've, early in the morning, have called an engineer, and the engineer knows who it's me, and yeah, the first thing they say is, what? <laughs> and then start laughing, because it's 2.30 in the morning and something ain't working right. But they get they get right on it. Um, I, It's amazing.
6: Well, I don't know how long... I'm going to be here, I, I hope for a while longer, but we'll see. It's radio. You never know. But I can tell you that when people ask me uh, what are among your your proudest moments, your favorite moments of being on the air at the station, I can tell you one of my favorite just happened the last hour, and uh, that wasn't on the air. Now, I, I, I think at some point we'll play highlights of this on the air, but this podcast Started about a year ago, sat down with Ty Boyd and spent about an hour and a half with him. And it's long been a goal of mine. John Stokes, you know this because I've been chasing you for two decades to sit down with me one day and do this. Believe and, uh, it or not, I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> I really don't. But you know what? You're glad you did this, right? Yes. Yeah, see, absolutely. this was, this was uh, we, we need this kind of thing on tape. Uh, Stories from two legends like Jim Barrell and John Stokes. So thank you for taking the time today. Uh, I hope you continue to enjoy your well-deserved retirements. And uh, don't be strangers.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Bo. It's really been a pleasure.